Hi, this is Helena Cobbin, the owner of Just World Books. Last Wednesday, September 8th, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was able to sit down and have a good little conversation with Ambassador Chaz W. Freeman, Jr., the author of our first book, America's Misadventures in the Middle East, which will be coming out from Just World Books in October. Here's the gist of the conversation. Sorry it took me so long to get it up on the podcast, but we've been pretty busy. On Thursday, we launched the website, and there's been a lot of editing going on for all of the projects that we have coming out in fall 2010. Anyway, here's the conversation with Ambassador Chaz W. Freeman, Jr. Ambassador Freeman, uh, what do you think about the latest peace process with President Obama having called Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Mahmoud Abbas to a direct talks meeting here in Washington, D.C. Do you think anything's going to come of it? Well, I think this may very well be the last iteration of this long-running stage production. Um, it's very possible uh, that, uh, since it's very unlikely to produce anything concrete, uh, it will prove to be uh, the... Uh, the final act that enables people to see through the whole fictional event. Um, so it could be quite consequential. Uh, it's interesting that uh, it wasn't possible for the president uh, to convene this without calling on others uh, to set the context, specifically the quartet. Uh, but in that uh, context, uh, the uh, European Commissioner for Foreign Affairs Ashland, in fact, took a pass on the event. I don't think Sergei Lavrov came either. No. And certainly Ban Ki-moon was not there. So it was, in effect, a purely U.S. show at which the attendees, uh, Mahmoud Abbas and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, were present in order to accommodate President Obama, uh, not to accomplish anything between themselves, and the rest of the international community wasn't there. Now, it was the case, of course, that uh, Hosni Mubarak and uh, King Abdullah II of Jordan uh, were there, uh, but uh, there uh, in the Camp David framework uh, and heavily subsidized by the United States in order to remain within it uh, so they know where their bread is buttered. Do you think there should have been more participation from the Arab countries, other Arab countries? Well, I think ideally an effective, I'd hate to use the word peace process because I think that term has been th so thoroughly discredited um, that is everyone sees that in the region in particular uh, as a substitute for peace, not a path to peace, uh, as a fraud, not a serious diplomatic endeavor, as, as something intended to give an appearance of diplomacy when there is none. Uh, and I think, um, so if we're talking about making peace seriously between Israel and the Palestinians in the first instance, yes, there, it, it, this does require a regional context. But you can't ask people to come to the table um, when you have nothing to offer them terms of their interests, and in fact have never taken the trouble to listen to them to discover what those interests are. 
there is in the region, particularly in the conservative societies of, uh, of the Arabian Peninsula, I think, a terrible yearning for peace because its absence is what radicalizes populations, what threatens stability in those places. Um, and some of them, like Saudi Arabia, of course, are very, very closely bound up in a broader context of the Islamic world. And this issue in the Holy Land between Israel and the Palestinians whom it's dispossessed has now become a central feature of instability in the broader Islamic context. It is the source of global terrorism, or as President Bush, the second President Bush put it after 9-11, terrorism with global reach. Well, this is the place where it begins. Um, now, there are other causes of it as well, of course, but this is the central factor. And uh, therefore, uh, I think, approached on the right basis, uh, you could have buy-in to a peacemaking effort uh, by others in the region. The fact that, that hasn't happened uh, seems to me to say more about the Israeli-centered American approach than about what is actually possible. Now, my company, Just World Books, is really happy to be publishing your um, book, America's Misadventures in the Middle East, which is a broad survey of U.S. policy in the region from 1990 until the present. As you look at that 20-year period, what are the, the kind of the, the main, either the main turning points or the main lessons that you came out um, of your work having identified? Well, there's so many, um, and I think uh, the selection of articles and speeches in the book uh, brings them out. Um, uh, my own um, engagement with the Middle East began rather late. Uh, it was frankly not a place I had ever wished to be involved with. Um, and uh, when I became involved with it, it was a dramatic moment. It was Saddam Hussein's invasion and occupation and attempted annexation of Kuwait. So you were U.S. ambassador in Saudi Arabia at the time. How long had you been there before um, Saddam's invasion of, of Kuwait actually happened? Less than a year. Uh, so I had been there long enough uh, to understand how to operate in that place um, and to have a sense of the host nation's priorities and how to um, engage with the Saudis on on those and uh, other topics of interest, greater interest to us. Um, and I, um, it's fortunate that it didn't happen when I immediately arrived, um, because as I describe in an article that is included in the book and which had not been published before, I and, uh, and General Norman Schwarzkopf basically ensured that the frictions between the American military presence, and indeed the broader international military presence, and this very austere, religiously uh, tense uh, and unwelcoming uh, Arab society uh, were, were managed successfully. Uh, you know, it's, a mar it's, it's amazing. I had 550,000 technical staff <laughs> as an ambassador 
because all of the military were assigned to me, um, 550,000 people, even uh, the U.S. military, for whom I have the utmost respect, in a group that size, you're bound to have uh, people capable of getting themselves into trouble or making trouble. There was remarkably little of that. And when it did happen, which it did, uh, we established effective mechanisms to deal with it uh, before it uh, spun out of control and became a political issue. So what happened to me in Saudi Arabia uh, was the beginning of the learning process, which I think is reflected throughout the, the book. Um, I got a fair number of things right. Um, I learned as I went along. Uh, it took me, I think, a long time uh, to come to the unfortunate conclusion that much of the so-called peace process that we were just talking about uh, was a, um, a sort of a political fraud uh, for the benefit of uh, uh, everyone except those uh, who are actually suffering. Uh, so um, at any rate, I think uh, when I uh, responded to your suggestion that uh, this book be put together, I was quite pleasantly surprised by um, how well it, it, it came together. Well, we've, we've gotten some great responses to it already, including from the veteran Israeli peace activist Yuri Avenieri, who is going to be um, celebrating his 87th birthday very soon. So I was delighted that Uri gave us a great endorsement for the book. Um, I'll just tell people who are listening to this that the book has a broad sweep. It starts off with your great unpublished hitherto unpublished essay on Operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm, 1990-91, then goes through the 90s pretty fast, has more detail with the 2000s and with the sad state of the uh, peace process in the 2000s, and then it concludes with four wonderful little chapters about Saudi Arabia that I think make a distinctive contribution along with you know, all the other materials. So I just want to thank you for publishing the book with us. Great pleasure. Um, it's, uh, it's not too often that you get a chance to uh, look back at 20 years of your life uh, in this way. And um, I, I, I thank you for the suggestion that I do that. <laughs>